Good morning and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins and this is episode 56. Today we start Revelation chapter 18. And in 17 you saw the heavenly proclamation of Babylon's fall. And and it things that are proclaimed in heaven are are as though they happen in that moment. And we know that things that happen on earth follow the proclamation in heaven, but we don't always know by how long. Uh, the interesting thing about the whole relationship is that earth is bound in time and space. We occupy only this, this area that's on the earth, and we occupy only this time in which we live. Heaven isn't bound by either of those things. Heaven can be everywhere uh, in every time frame, right? It's not bound by, by human time. Einstein postulated that there were an infinite number of alternate universes that operated in different spaces and in different time references than our own. It wasn't until the discovery of of particles called quarks that seemed to flash on and flash off, matter that seemed to appear and disappear. And as scientists dug into quarks, they understood that some of these particles are in our time and space reference at one point and then change time and space reference and cycle away from us where they no longer exist in this time and space, but they exist somewhere else. And then they cycle back. So it's like, it's like matter that comes and goes and comes and goes. Finally, proving that Einstein was probably right. There are probably millions, an infinite number. There are probably an endless number of different time and space references so that I could exist parallel to myself in the same place at almost the same time, and you simply wouldn't see the other me. It's crazy, I know. But that's that's how heaven is. It's unbound. It lives in every time, in every space, all at the same time. And so what happens on this earth, uh, God proclaims in heaven, and it will happen here. In what? Time reference we don't know, but in heaven, it's as though it's already happened. So the proclamation of Babylon's fall comes in chapter 17. Now we start chapter 18 with that same proclamation made to the earth and the earthly response or outcome. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. After this, after seeing the heavenly activity in his heavenly vision, After this, I saw another angel with extraordinary authority descending from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. Then he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It has become the habitation of demons, a haunt for every type of unclean spirit and a hideout for every unclean and hateful bird and beast." For all nations have collapsed because of the maddening wine of her immoral passion. 
The kings of the earth fornicated with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive thirst for luxury. We're going to stop right there because chapter 18 happens in three sections. There's this proclamation, and then there is a warning uh, to the people of God, uh, and a condemnation of Babylon in the same in the same breath, and then another voice speaks, and it's the lament over Babylon. So there's a proclamation, a warning, and a condemnation, and then the lament. Let's just look at the warning. This extraordinary angel, this angel with extraordinary authority, descends from heaven and makes the proclamation for the earth. So the vision now that he saw in heaven is coming to pass. The earth is illuminated by his splendor. Light is a common theme in all of John's writings. Uh, when the light grows brighter, God is nearer. When the light gets darker, like if you betray Jesus in the middle of the night, then hope is further away. If you at the same time betray Jesus as the cock crows, when the sun is just starting to show on the eastern horizon, there's a glimmer of hope for you, see? So light plays this key role in everything that John writes. The earth was illuminated, lighted by his splendor. He cries out in a loud voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. He repeats it. Anything in scripture that's repeated is really serious. So this is certain now. Babylon has fallen. Not going to fall. It has. It has become the habitation of demons, a haunt for every type of unclean spirit and a hideout for every unclean and hateful bird and beast. This is not just a physical fall. It's first a spiritual fall. Notice that the descriptive words are first spiritual. It has become the habitation of demons. It is spiritually corrupt first. And then it becomes a hideout for every unclean and hateful bird and beast. The fact that it's the unclean that live there uh, after it's crashed is testament to the fact that it was spiritually unclean before. You see, the corrupt place, even in its desolation, is inhabited by the corrupt. This is a direct throwback to the book of Isaiah, where his prophecy against Babylon is, you will fall, you will never be rebuilt, and your ruins will become the habitat for hyenas. That really is kind of the spirit here as well. But here, Babylon is, is symbolic. Again, archetypal. It is the model for every corrupt government and religious culture that will ever exist on the face of the earth. And when those 
empires seek to gain power against the kingdom, they're condemned to fall. And when they fall, it will be a total collapse, a spiritual collapse, a political collapse, a geographic collapse, a physical collapse. Everything that ever held them together is coming down. And they take everyone with them who associated themselves to try and gain power from that power. All the nations, verse 3, all the nations have collapsed because of the maddening wine of her immoral passions. The interesting thing about the world is that if one group of people is is involved in immorality, it's almost invariable that another group jumps in with them. If someone's making an insane amount of money, others flock to that place to have a shot at it as well. You know, 13 or 14 years ago, I gave an impassioned speech at a at a meeting at a second at a, a higher education uh, institution and I said, "Look, we've got to start teaching and educating and preparing for our graduates to do business in China because the future prosperity lies in China." And and they took me seriously. That school put together a China studies program. They taught business along with Chinese language, Mandarin language skills. They, they placed interns in companies that were doing business in China. And they began to position themselves to take advantage of that great opportunity, which is what I'd hoped they would do. Then China became the place where all the corrupt people who wanted to take advantage of the situation, went to make a fortune. Yes, Hunter Biden included, right? Every every scumbag in the world flocked into that market to make a quick buck. And those kinds of systems are doomed to failure. On, on, at this time, we do a lot of crazy business with China. The, the pandemic proved to us that we depend on them for way too many things, for way too many products, for medicines, pharmaceuticals, uh, for, for transportation, for energy products. We depend on China far too much. They have control over us because we have participated in that make money fast kind of atmosphere. All the nations of the earth are drunk with the maddening wine of her immoral passion. So they all go down with her. A lot of the times in our geopolitical circumstances, I kind of take heart that the United States can't fall because we take everybody down with us. But what if that's the way it happens and everybody just goes down together? We, you and I have grown up in a world that, 
that has always had a mind about who would conquer, who would rule. What if nobody rules? What if the whole system collapses all at once and there isn't a strong man left standing? If there is, it'll probably be China. But they're not that strong either, not economically. If the world can't buy from them, they can't make money. So right now in this weird global economy, in this weird world order, everybody's kind of dependent on everybody else. And when there's a bad player like Vladimir Putin, everybody suffers. Even his friends start to say, hey, Vlad, straighten up over there. You're kind of hurting the whole game here. That's because all the kings of the earth fornicated with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive thirst for luxury. If ever there was a time in the history of the world where the thirst for luxury was excessive, it's in this world. Who do we worship? This world worships the Forbes list of the top 50 richest people in the world. Every year that list is printed in the Forbes magazine. That's their number one selling issue for the year. People who don't even subscribe to Forbes magazine run out to buy that one to see who the richest dude is this time. Is it Gates? Is it Musk? Is it somebody else? And and that's, that's what we worship. That's what this world considers to be most important. It's immoral. It's a way of, of committing fornos with the porne. So there's a couple of words that, that you really need to know are present in the Greek language. The word for prostitute in Greek is porne. Now that is familiar to you, right? It's, it's the word from which we get pornography. Pornos, logos. Porne, logos. Pornography. It's, it's, I'm sorry, pornos, graphos. It's pictures of prostitution. It's pictures of sexual immorality. The, the graphos, graphics, are the pictures. Porne is the prostitution, the sexual compromise. So here's the prostitute. She's porne. And here's the kings of the earth commit fornos with her, fornication. They tie themselves to her in a way that is is intimately immoral. So porne is the immoral act. Pornography is the depiction of the immorality. Fornos, the fornication, is the participation in an act of intimacy in a way that is commoditizing, that that denies the intimacy it was meant to have, and in fact abuses that intimacy for pleasure or for profit. That's fornication. So here is all this sexual immorality tied up 
in the 17th and 18th chapters of the book of Revelation because that misuse of what's meant to be holy, whether it's sex or relationship or worship or anything else, that misuse of what's meant to be good God created everything, remember, in the book of Genesis? And at each break, and the Lord saw that it was good. But when you take those good things and and you abuse them for any purpose other than what they were intended, you're participating with Babylon in the immorality. And when she goes down, you'll go down with her. If you have tied yourself to this world in any unhealthy way to use other people to make money, to use resources to get ahead of somebody else. When you tie yourself to anything good for the wrong purposes, you're guilty here. You're part of the problem. You are, in effect, fornicating with the problem and participating in that immorality and the kings of the earth i'm sorry and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive thirst for luxury i look at my world and how it's driven i lived through the dot com bubble in the early 90s when literally you could start a business called handlotion.com and it was such a fad that people would buy inferior products from you simply because you were a .com and and in those days there were a bazillion of them and some of them were really really big yahoo survived but just barely but there were a whole bunch of those .coms that had to do with web entertainment And people were making insane amounts of money, hand over fist, overnight money, getting absolutely filthy rich until everybody realized it was all a farce. There was really nothing substantive behind it. And it all came crashing down. The dot-com bubble burst. Then, not too many years later, People realized that the housing market had been oversold. Bankers, realtors, title companies, everybody who could make a buck off of commissions on higher sales made credit easily available and started to drive up the prices of homes to insane levels. But it was all relative because people could get loans for insane amounts of money. And then in about, what, 2009, 2010, it all unraveled. And and there was this housing bubble burst. I moved to Seattle in that time period. And I started looking for a home when I moved to Seattle. And I opened up a map that showed all the foreclosures in the area with a little red dot. And the map disappeared under the red dots. Everything was in foreclosure. 
in my in the block where I bought my home, there were probably in that block of eight houses on my side of the street, eight houses on the other side of the street, right? In that block of 16 houses, I think 10 of them at one point in a two-year period were in foreclosure. It was crazy. So that bubble burst and everybody who had tied themselves to that level of luxury and riches and money-making suffered and many, many went under. I watched all kinds of realty offices just close up overnight. Some of the big ones survived, but mom and pops and the the people who'd gone into realty just to make a quick buck because it was easy. I saw financial institutions close, title companies close, people who tied themselves to that quick and easy riches went down when it went down. Now I look at my world and I see so many other places where we've done the same thing. The energy industry is in crisis right now. Now you could say that's orchestrated by the government. I wouldn't disagree with you. But everybody who ties themselves to every uptick in the energy industry finds themselves in real trouble in the next downturn. And the energy industry is so cyclical, there are constant upturns and constant downturns. And and every ride up, new people jump in, and every ride down, new people go broke. It's just the truth of the way creation works. Those who participate in excess for nothing more noble than material gain almost always pay the price. It looks great for them for a season, and then in the downturn, they crash with the system. Now imagine what that's like when an empire falls. And again, here I think Babylon is is representative of Rome. And the Roman Empire did come to a crashing end. And it did take most of the known world with it. Sunk the world into what we now know as the Dark Ages, right? What's going to happen when the empires of today fall apart? When this financial system no longer functions the way we're accustomed to it functioning? When it becomes suddenly clear that the strongest currencies on the face of the planet are just funny money. They're not really worth anything. When the strongest stock markets on the face of the earth are suddenly worth nothing and everything has to be, I don't want to borrow the word from the political discussion, but literally reset. Not politically reset for the power of some, reset for the survival of the whole system. I really think that could take place very soon, maybe even still in my lifetime. I don't want to see it. But the more I look, the more afraid I am that we're going to see that kind of total reset very soon. And it will not be good.
word of encouragement here? Well, that's kind of hard to come by. Because this is a proclamation of failure. The affirmation's going to come in the next section. So I may leave it for then. I may just ask you to hang on. And I may ask you to sit for today with this observation of the world around you. How much is it invested in material gain? How much does it function on political power, material gain, and wealth? And apart from those three items, political power, material gain, and wealth, what does it do? How does it function? Where does the world today function on the basis of anything moral? Where are those moral priorities? They're really hard to find. So maybe today we just sit in this one for a little while. And I I ask you to look and see how this world functions and to what extent our lives are intertwined in that world's system of values and immorality to the extent that if it crashed, it would take our lives, our families, our world with it. Is that where our faith has been? In the world, in those systems? Or is our faith in Jesus Christ? So that even if the country in which I live absolutely crashes, comes to ruin, and, and we have to start over with a regional government of two or three states, what used to be states, and, and put it together again, starting from a limited group of people. Can we do it? Do we know God well enough to see us through that kind of crisis? And if not, I think it's imperative that we change our priorities and we shift our attachments to the point that we could. I encourage you to examine your life today and say, to what extent am I connected to the things that are going to crash? Maybe not right away, but as I look at them, I understand those are not the things of God. And how do I get myself out of those things? That's going to be the call in the next section. Get away from there. So first, let's take stock of what we might need to get away from. And tomorrow, we'll hear the call.